You're listening to Rabbi Arya Wolby, Director of Torch, the Torah Outreach Resource Center of Houston. This is the Jewish Inspiration Podcast. All right, welcome back, everybody, to the Jewish Inspiration Podcast. It's so awesome to be here with all of you. And tonight, we are going to continue the topic we started last week. In honor of this incredible month of Adar, we are going to continue the discussion on pray, on the topic of prayer. We said it's a work of heart. The Talmud says, What is the labor of the heart? That is tefillah, that is prayer. Prayer is not what we think. Uh, we just say a few words in, in synagogue and we shake back and forth and we hear the chazan uh, recite some beautiful chanting. That's not what prayer is about. It's also part of prayer, but I think a lot of it actually we got from our non-Jewish neighbors. We got it from other religions. We never had such a music and all that, which by the way, just an interesting thing that some congregations over the years have become sadly less observant of Shabbos and allowed you know music to be played in congregations on Shabbos and so on and so forth. But what's really interesting, aside for that it's a prohibition in the Torah, the Torah doesn't allow such thing, it hasn't helped attendance. Like, scientifically, it just hasn't worked. But what people thought will be, maybe if we make it into like a concert and we make it into these, many times synagogues have these, these um, you know, very happy, clappy Friday night uh, service, uh, they call it the, the Oneg, and they do all these other things. It hasn't raised involvement. In fact, involvement has only decreased. So that's not the answer. The answer is not playing music. What is real prayer? Real prayer means I talk to God. And we discussed this last week. We started talking about it. But this week, we're going to have to focus on something very different. And that is the powerful, powerful days that are coming up in front of us. We have three very, very powerful days next week. We have Tanis Esther, which is Monday. We have a fast of Esther. On Tuesday, we have Purim. And on Wednesday, we have Shushan Purim. Sages tell us that these days are probably the most incredibly powerful days of the entire Jewish calendar when it comes to prayer. Why? If we look at the story of Purim, we'll see that there was only one great awesome power that helped the Jews succeed against their enemies. It was a decree. The king gave over his signet ring to Haman, and that's it. It's all it's all done. It was all signed into law, and what, what always people say, well, that's the law of the land now, right? And that was the law of the land. In Shushan, which was the capital of Iran at the time, Persia, that was it. It was signed and sealed. The Jews are going to be murdered. All of their possessions will be taken by whoever wants it. And that's it. The 13th day of Adar, the Jews are over. But what did the Jews do? They utilized the power of prayer. They utilized the power of prayer. What did that do for them? That brought them salvation. The greatest power we have is the power of prayer. For us to have the ability to talk to God and to share with him our own challenges, not only on a a national level as a Jewish people, 
but also as a as a an individual, as a parent, as a child, as a sibling, as a spouse, as a community member, we have the ability to pray for all the things that are important to us. And every single prayer should be a personal request for something. God help me close that deal. God send me a customer to God. I'm, I'm stuck with this and this situation. God, I'm, I, I need help in, in my relationship. God, I need help with my children. God, I need help with my, with my job. God, whatever it is that a person is challenged with, to talk to God and speak to him. I heard something devastating a couple of weeks ago. A rabbi was speaking shortly after there was the, uh, terrorist attack where a car rammed into a bus stop murdering two brothers in Jerusalem and there was a rabbi who spoke so powerfully and he said what is the message when two brothers die when two brothers die it's the strongest most painful message from God he said two brothers died on Lagba Omer a year and a half ago Two brothers died in this terrorist attack. And he says, what are the heavens telling us? The heavens are telling us to wake up and to pray. The heavens are telling us to repent. The heavens are telling us that things can't remain the same. And then this week, there was another terrorist, another couple of terrorist attack, and another one in which two brothers who actually had the same first name as the other two brothers, Yaakov and Menachem, also passed away, were murdered by terrorists. What greater responsibility do we have than to pour our hearts out and say, God, enough. God, take us out of this, this misery, this exile. But each and every one of us need to feel that and pray. Yeah, and people are going to say, well, does God care what I, little me, what I say here in Houston, Texas, about what goes on in the world? Does God care about what I think? Does God care? God has more important people to, to listen to. He has more important prayers to answer. No, 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 no. Hashem loves each and every one of our prayers. Mordechai wasn't the only one to pray. It was the entire Jewish people. Everyone had to fast. Everyone had to pray. Everyone, it was a collective effort. It says that after Haman brought Mordechai, the story is amazing. If you haven't read the book of Esther, read it. It is the most magnificent story that unfolds one layer after another. It is just incredible, the miracles. Now, knowing the story, you look at it and you're like, yeah, it's pretty cool, but read it again. You'll see that. One second, that's another miracle. That's another miracle. Each one is its own new miracle that all came together so perfectly to bring about the redemption of the Jewish people at that time. We're all in our Egypt. We're all, we all have our own Mitzrayim. We all have our own Shushan. We all have our, our own Achashverosh and our Haman that's trying to incite hate against us. We have to do something about it. What's the power that we have? The power of prayer, the power of communication. It says, we know that the Purim story tells us that what happened with Ahasuerus, she couldn't sleep all night. He's having nightmares. Uh-oh, Haman's trying to kill me. 
Haman's trying to kill me. And then one of the king's guards says to the king, guess who's in the courtyard? It's Haman. He says, oh, maybe it's not a dream. So Haman comes in and Ahasuerus abruptly asks him, what shall I do to the person that I want to honor? And as the Megillah tells us, what did Haman in his wicked mind, what did he think? He's like, hey, who does the king want to honor more than me? So he says, oh, we should bring out the horses that only the king rides. And we should have, you know, all of the crown should be worn by this individual. And all of the garments of the king should be worn. And everybody should should be going through the town in a parade. And they should say, such shall be done to the man that the king wants to honor. What a great presentation that is, that's going to be. Thinking this is going to happen to him. And Ahasuerus tells him, okay, perfect. Exactly what you said. Do for Mordechai. Don't leave out a thing. He says, uh, Mordechai, he says, but Mordechai is not going to appreciate this type of stuff. He's more of a holy, spiritual kind. He doesn't care about the robe of the king. He says exactly what you said do. Okay, so he goes, he picks him up, and we all know the story of how Haman used to be a barber. And Mordechai made him be the barber for him. And he says, I can't be wearing the king's clothes looking disheveled as I get me clothes. He had to tailor him clothes and he had to wash him and bathe him. And it was very humiliating for Haman, the second in command. And then not only that, he said, I'm too weak from all my fasting. I can't get up on the horse. So he says, okay, so you get down and I'll have to stand on you to get onto the horse. And he stamped on him and gets on the horse. Either way, so they finished this whole procession and they finished this whole thing. And what happens also, by the way, Haman goes home, Evil Rosh. He goes as a mourner. He goes back home. Why? Sages tell us that Haman's daughter saw this whole parade. She's up in the top floor of her apartment building, and she sees there's some guy leading the horses, and there's some guy riding the horses. She can't see exactly who it is. She says, It's got to be that my father, second in command, is riding on the king's horse. And it's probably Mordechai as a punishment that he's the one leading the horses. And she takes a a container of garbage and throws it overboard, and it goes on Haman. Haman looks up to see who had the audacity to do this, and she sees, uh-oh, that was my father, and she jumps out of the window and dies in embarrassment. So now Haman, after all of that humiliation, is mourning his daughter's death. And what does Mordechai do immediately after that? The Haggadah tells us something fascinating. Mordechai goes back to the gates of the king's palace. Our sages tell us, do you know what that is a hint to? Who's the king? Hashem. What does it mean that he's going back to the gates of the king's palace? He's going back to pray to God. He realizes the only power that we have is the power of prayer. So Mordechai returns to the king's palace gates. He's returning to Hashem with prayer. Not to get all excited, look, I got some honor, look at me, I'm such a fancy guy. No. He says, I have to continue praying because only prayer is what's going to get us out of this. Purim, the fast of Esther, Purim day, 
And the next day after Purim, Shushan Purim, are the most powerful days for prayer. Our sages tell us that whatever we want, we should pray for on that day. I want to share with you an incredible story. There was a young lady, a young girl, who had some very severe stomach pains. And for many days, and it got to weeks, the parents take her to one doctor, another doctor, they finally go to a specialist. The specialist does all this blood work and takes all these scans. And he says, I hate to break it to you, but your daughter has a very severe disease. The father accepts the diagnosis from the doctor. But the mother is having a very hard time with this. She's not willing to accept it. A few weeks later, was Purim. And she knew that the power of Purim is so great that you can pray for anything. Whatever you pray for is heard, accepted, and fulfilled. And she spent the entire Purim praying for her daughter that she should be healed and that she shouldn't have this illness anymore. A few days after Purim, they were meeting with the top, top specialist in New York. And the specialist looks at the blood work and he says, there's nothing here. She's fine. What do you mean it's fine? says, you know, they ran the blood work again. They did the test. They said, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. And he says to the daughter, do you feel any pain? She says, I haven't really felt any pain since Purim. So do prayers always get answered like that? No, not always. But this is one story of many of how there's a power to the prayers on Purim that is unfathomable. It is unfathomable, the power of prayers on Purim. Because you have to understand something. We say this so many times in our holidays. We say that the same power that existed back by Pesach, with the redemption from Egypt, with the splitting of the sea, with the giving of the Torah Mount Sinai and Shavuot, with the Sukkot that the Jewish people experienced in the desert, and the Rosh Hashanah, the Yom Kippur, all of these things, it comes back every year at that time. There's that opportunity to reinvigorate that power. There's that opportunity to to reconnect with that special moment. What is the special power of Purim? The special power of Purim, our sages tell us, is the power to pray. That's the one thing we have on Purim that is just beyond any other time of year. The power to pray and have our prayers answered in such an astounding way. We're talking to Hashem. They used to uh, ask, how come the Chafetz Chaim's prayers were answered? Whenever people, I want you, just so that you understand who the Chafetz Chaim was, my grandfather, I asked him once, there was a group of people who were visiting Jerusalem, they wanted to come see my grandfather to get a blessing. So my grandfather said, no, 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 they shouldn't go to me, they should go to Rabbi Mordechai Zuckerman. Rabbi Mordechai Zuckerman was a very, very special tzaddik, a very special righteous Jew a very learned Jew, a very pious Jew. And I said, why why him? Why should, why should they go to him? They can go to you. He says, the, he gave me three reasons. He says, the first reason is because he's a real tzaddik. 
The second reason is because he was a student of the Chafetz Chaim. He was a student of the Chafetz Chaim. He has unbelievable powers. Just that he was a student. And number three is he has a nicer beard than I do. So I told that to the to the the visitors, and I told them exactly when they can go see Rabbi Zuckerman. And sure enough, when they arrived at the synagogue to to get to get their blessing from Rabbi Zuckerman, who was busy learning with my with with Rabbi Zuckerman, my grandfather, they learned together. So they got the blessings from both Rabbi Zuckerman and from my grandfather. Uh, but the fact that he just he saw the Chafetz Chaim, he saw him, of course, learning by him. Unbelievable, unbelievable treasure. So the Chavetz Chaim, people asked him to pray for things and whatever he prayed for was was answered. So someone once asked, one of the great sages, he said, I don't understand, how come the Chavetz Chaim, like what's his power that he's able to get his prayers answered? See, he says, he talks to God like one talks to their brother. It's no wonder that his tefillos, his prayers are accepted. So if we talk to our to, to our God like we talk to our brother, like it's a real conversation, it's a real give and take, then it's no question that our prayers will be answered. So there's a very important part of prayer which I think is overlooked, and that is to prepare what it is that we're going to pray for. Meaning, it's very difficult on the spur of the moment to come up with like, oh, now now I remember what I need to pray for. No, that's not going to happen. You're sitting in, in, in a synagogue, wherever you're praying, the person should prepare what it is that they're praying for. They have a list of things. Praying for myself, what do I need? Have a list, have it ready. And don't. It doesn't have to be that you're reading off a list, but it should be things that are important to you so you don't forget them. That's why it's important to pray from a sitter. The sages put together the construct, the, the the formula for a successful prayer. But a lot of it is also so that you don't forget what it is you need to pray for. Because if you don't have that list in front of you, it slip your mind. You wanted to pray for your child and you forgot to pray for your child. Like this, you have the list. You know exactly what it is that you need to pray for. You want to pray for your friend? How are you going to remember that when you have a hundred other things you need to pray for? It's so important for a person to have a knowledge, a grasp, a, an ability to recall what it is that they want to pray for. You know, there, there's there's a special power to reciting the Amen. The Talmud says that Kol ha'one Amen b'chol kocho, whoever answers Amen with all of their might, poschin lo sharei ganeden. Their, the heavenly gates are open before them. Someone who answers Amin with all their might, the heavenly gates are open for them, before them. What is so powerful in reciting Amin? That this is so incredible. They open up the gates of heaven. What's the big deal? Sages tell us that what is Amin? Amen means I approve, I admit, I affirm, this is true. Meaning, someone says a prayer, 
And you say, yeah, indeed, I, I approve of that prayer. So what happens when you say amen with all of your might? That means you're saying, yes, I affirm with a, with a solid conviction of the truth of the Almighty's presence. My emuna, amen comes from term, term emuna. Aleph mem nun emuna is the same root. We're saying, yes, I have a firm knowledge of Hashem's ability and that Hashem will, will, is indeed creator of heaven and earth. Hashem is the one who gives us the, the fruit from the tree. I'm saying amen. I'm affirming your blessing. So when someone recites a blessing and you say amen, you're not only attaching yourself to it, you're adding your signature to it, saying, yes, I affirm. Indeed, this is true. When we go to the synagogue and the chazan recites the blessings and we say amen, what we're doing is we're attaching ourselves to those prayers, saying, indeed, yes, Hashem is koyachol, Hashem is capable of all. Hashem is he was, is, and will be. We're affirming that with saying amen. One little three-letter word, amen. The more powerful it is when we recite the amen, the more fervor we have, the more connection we feel to that amen, the more of a, of a, of a connection we're associating with it. So, you know, the halacha says an amazing thing that when the time of prayer comes, one should remove himself from all busyness. Okay, everything that you're busy with, and then pray. Allah says, if someone's in the middle of a court case, you can't be busy, you can't pray in the middle of the whole court case. Why? Because you're not going to have the clarity of mind. Prayer is not just saying words. It's having the presence of mind. We call it today mindfulness. But mindfulness is prayer. It's being fully present in our prayer. Allah tells us, your hands are dirty, you can't pray. Your clothes are dirty, you can't pray. Your mind is dirty, it's busy with clouded, with a lot of things, with business, it's, 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 you're involved in a conflict, can't pray. You know why? You don't have clarity of mind. That's why our sages tell us, the Talmud we learned many years ago, we should review it probably, says that the great sages would prepare an hour before prayer, they would pray for an hour, and then there would be an hour after prayer. So imagine that. The Talmud asks, that that's insane. I'm not that great in math, but three hours for morning services, three hours for afternoon service, three hours for evening service, that's nine hours. Nine hours a day of prayer. It's a little bit excessive. How much prayer? And when are they going to get their work done, by the way? What's about getting a real job? How many hours are left to pray? Then you have to eat and you have to drink and you have to go to the restroom? How much time is left? Say, just tell us, if someone really, really prays like that, they have such a high level of trust in Hashem, those are not the people who need to worry about how they're going to live. Those are the people who live beyond that. But what we need to get out of it is that we need to prepare for prayer. That's the lesson for us. Not that we should take nine hours a day of praying. 
but that we should learn from that example of what it means to prepare for prayer. They stood for an hour prior to prayer, getting themselves ready for prayer. What am I going to ask? Imagine the following. Imagine you get a phone call. This is an, an, an official invitation from the White House. You're invited to come see the president. March 6th. March 6th, we'd like you to come to the White House. The president wants to meet with you. How many nights will you be able to sleep between now and then? It doesn't matter who the president is. The answer is you probably won't be able to sleep a single night. Why? Because you'll be thinking, oh my goodness, what am I going to say? I don't have any, what is, what is you, what am I going to say? I'm going to be speechless. What am I going to wear? What am I going to write? Everything, everything is going through our minds. But guess what? Here we're about to pray in front, to talk and present ourselves in front of the king of all kings. Not mortal man. The king of all kings who was, is, and will be forever and ever. Who has no beginning and no end. And we come in and we're like, oh, 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 amen. Uh, and we go back to, we go back home without feeling any connection. Because perhaps we don't have the right idea of what it means to stand in front of God. You know, the halacha says that before one goes to pray, they should wash their hands. Their hands are clean. Yeah, but you still, you're about to talk to God. Wash your hands. The idea is to get you into the presence of mind. You can't pray to God barefoot. Why? That's not the way you talk to a king. Forget a physical human king, a godly king, king of all kings. We pray barefoot. That's not appropriate. The idea is that we get into a frame of mind of what is going on over here. It's not just a casual conversation. Well, here's the thing. If we recognize, like we said last week, there are two components to prayer. Number one is that we're standing in front of God. Number two, that we know what we're saying. And we said at the beginning of this week's class, the Chavetz Chaim talked to God like he was a brother. It's because it wasn't a stranger. With reverence, with awe, to prepare what it is that we're asking for. Your question is an excellent question. The question is, how come there are sometimes you go to synagogues, how come the chazan recites the prayer so quickly? You can hardly understand what they're saying. And it is an excellent question to which I don't have an answer. That's not the appropriate way to pray. Prayer shouldn't become that rote that we recite it so fast that we don't even know who we're talking to. That's the problem with prayer, is that here's the problem, the real problem. The real problem is, is my son. My son is the real problem. My son is 12 years old, and he happens to daven very beautifully. But do you know how many times he has davened in his life? He has probably davened 10,000 times. You think he has a clue of what he's saying already? If you say, I love you 10,000 times, I guarantee you time 10,001 is not going to be the same as the first time. Why? Because it's become a habit already. Sadly. 
unless you put a focus and you take time to think about what it is that you're saying, then when you say I love you, it comes with much more passion than it was the first time. The problem is that particularly children who grew up in a religious home praying three times a day since he's four or five years old, he he doesn't know what prayer is really. All he knows is this is what he's been saying for his entire life. That's the problem. The problem is at what point do you start learning what it really means to stand in front of the Almighty, that I'm talking to God, that my every word is being counted and calculated and treasured by the Almighty. So it's an excellent question. So when I prayed in yeshiva, when we, we, we had classes from my grandfather about prayer, and even if you didn't have the proper intention and focus, you'd be embarrassed to pray fast enough that you didn't. Meaning, one of the things that my grandfather taught us was how to have concentration with each and every word, understanding what it is that you're saying. Elokei Avraham, the God of Abraham. How do, how was God the God the God of Abraham through kindness? Abraham's trait was kindness. He saw kindness in the world. He saw that there has to be a world, a, a God to this world because there's kindness everywhere. That's what he saw. And what Isaac saw in God was his own relationship. He was able to identify himself through God's creation. And the same thing with Jacob. Each and every one of our patriarchs and matriarchs and Moses and Aaron and, and, and King David, they all had the ability to connect to God through their own character. They saw it in the world. They connected with it. We talk about Abraham was a, a person of kindness. He saw it can't just be that I'm just kind out of the goodness of my heart. There has to be an example of it in the world. And what was the example he saw? He says, look around, there's, there's, there has to be a creator. Because all over the world there's kindness. That's a very different type of prayer when we're able to think through those things. And we're thinking through every word. There's no rushing there. And that's really what it should be like. It should be that Shachar said, you know, I, this is something that is one of my pet peeves you picked on. And that is, no, 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 I'll explain to you. I don't like that shuls change their time of prayer based on the day of the week. See, Monday and Thursday, Monday and Thursday, we bring out the Torah. So davening is about 10 to 15 minutes longer. So many shuls adjust the time. Well, if you got to be out of here a quarter to eight, so we're going to start the davening. So basically, davening is always scheduled by the end of davening, by, by when you got to finish and get out. That's not what prayer is about. That's not what prayer is about. It's not about when you're leaving shul. It's about when you're coming to shul and preparing for prayer and talking to God appropriately. I sometimes feel this, and I and I don't say this as a compliment to myself. I think it's just the opposite. Sometimes, sometimes I come to shul and I, I just can't. I, it's it's morning. There's already a whole rush in the morning, getting the kids out to school and doing this and doing that, doing everything. And, and I'm like, I'm I'm just not there. I'm not present to talk to God yet. And I'll be sitting in shul and I'm just like, just trying to get into the zone, into the focus. And sometimes 
it's much easier. Sometimes just get able to flow right into prayer. Sometimes it won't take till after they're done the prayers, till I am able to get to the frame of mind, to the clarity, to the calmness, to the to the place we need to be in in order to pray. So prayer is not about saying words. It's about being in the presence of mind, having our heart in the right place so that I can talk to God and not rush through the words. It's just like imagine this. Imagine your grandson soon is going to, is he talking yet? He's starting to talk. He's starting to say cute words. He's starting to say cute words. Soon he's going to see, he's going to sing for your birthday. He's going to sing, yeah, he's sing you happy birthday. And, and so on. It's going to be very special. Would you want to just sing it quickly already? We want to get to the cake. Or do you want to hear every single word of sweetness that comes out of his mouth? Because Hashem wants to hear our words. He's not rushing us. It's like, just hurry up already. I heard this yesterday. No. Hashem loves it. Hashem loves it. He wants it. Say it again. Say it again. Say it again. I want that prayer. I want that, right? That song, it's a melody for me. That's the, that's the, 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 the goal of prayer is to get to that point where we're, we're conscious of our connection with the Almighty and we're living in it. We're, it's not just words. It's not just things that we're saying. It's a connection with the Almighty on a very high level. Our sages tell us that osios machkimos, that if a person looks at the Hebrew alphabet, the Hebrew alphabet itself, by the way, is, is a holy language and the letters are holy. In fact, the halacha actually tells us this. It's very, very interesting. So imagine if I want to write with Hebrew letters, I want to write in English with the Hebrew letters. So I'll say, uh, how are you? Right, so imagine I take the uh, the hey and the aleph and the vav is how, and then I'll write aleph resh r and then yud and vav u. Right, I'm just writing it out. Do you know that with the letters, which is called the the font type, called ashurit, which is the type, the font type that's written in the Torah scroll, you're not allowed to write things that are not Torah with those letters. Why? Because the font type is holy. That's what the Torah is written with. And even to just write a, a book. I want to write a story book, a children's book. Can't do it with those letters. With that font type. Why? Allah says, because the font type is holy. Now imagine just the regular Hebrew letters. Holy. So if a person is praying, and you can say it by heart because you've said it 10,000 times before. Or you can read it inside. It's better to read it inside. Why? The power of the letters infuse us with holiness, with connection. Even if it's just looking at the letters. Very, very important uh, lesson. So how is it possible to drop everything and start davening? How is it possible? I, I'm in the middle of my court case. I'm in the middle of my closing a deal. I mean, you know, now I'm going to pray. How am I going to do that? Because a person needs to recognize at every moment that any success requires God's help. Yeah, guess what? 
when you realize that that court case, that deal, everything requires the hand of Hashem to succeed. So now I can, you know what? I'm trying to close it, but I can't close it without Hashem. So talk to Hashem and ask Him. Ah, so now I'm not busy with closing the deal. I'm busy conversing with the Almighty. I'm busy talking to Hashem and asking Him for His assistance so that I can close the deal. When we recognize, so here, so what's the, what's the challenge? The biggest challenge to prayer is arrogance, ego. That's the biggest challenge for prayer. Because if it's all me, what do I need God for? If I can do everything, then I don't need God. But the minute I realize that it's not about me, I can't do anything without the assistance from Hashem, then what happens? Hashem, I need to pray. I need your help. So the key to it all is recognizing that it's in the hands of Hashem. Everything is in the hands of Hashem. And to succeed in any area of life, we need prayer. If we recognize that everything only succeeds with prayer and Hashem's help, then the court case, the business dealing, whatever it is that's going on in our lives won't be a distraction because we realize that we need Hashem's help for that as well. So how does someone cope with the feeling that you're unworthy of God granting your prayer? So I'll tell you the, my, my refutation to that. And that is, God put you here. God thinks you're important. And because you're important, he wants to hear from you. And he wants to help you and assist you in every area of need. So if God didn't think you were important enough, I guarantee you, you wouldn't be here. God thinks you're important, which is why he put you on this earth, which is why he wants to hear from you because everything you have to say, he wants to hear. So the the idea is, is that yes, someone might be on mute at that moment, but that doesn't mean that we stop our prayers. Look, there's also a possibility that Hashem says, no, we can ask God, I want to win that lottery. Hashem says, no. It's not good for you. You're not getting it. But I prayed. I heard your prayer and I still answered you no. Because the Talmud says, Ain tfila There's no such thing as a prayer that returns unanswered. Not a prayer in the world goes back unanswered. But here's the known adage. The known adage. No, the known adage is as follows. A question that isn't asked is always no. If you don't ask, it's always going to be no. And that's what we're trying to do. What we are trying to do is ask. There's a 50% chance, there's actually better than 50% chance, that Hashem will say yes. There are things which our sages tell us be, create a blockade between us and the heavens. But that's not that God doesn't hear it. It doesn't even reach the heavens. It doesn't even reach the heavens because we create a blockade. We, we with our own actions, create that blockade. So I, I don't want to get into that yet. Okay, we're going to get into it soon. We're going to talk about that there are things that create a barrier, like hate. Hatred for another human being creates a barrier between us and the Almighty. We want to eliminate those, which is why we tried to work so hard on loving our fellow so that we don't have that barrier. Because 
the halacha tells us that before we pray, we should accept to love every Jew. Why? Because if we have that barrier, we can't have our prayer answered. You can't say, God, I don't respect or love your creations, but answer my prayer, by the way, because I asked. That's not going to help. So, if we recognize that everything only succeeds with prayer and Hashem's help, then all of those things won't be a distraction. Arrogance is the key distraction. The number one distraction we have from our prayers being answered is arrogance. Our jobs aren't and shouldn't be to be the center of the universe. Our service of the Creator should be. Jobs, money, career should be tools to help us serve the Almighty. Why do we want money? So we just have a nice bank account? No. So we serve Hashem. Why do we want a career? So we can have a livelihood, so that we can serve Hashem. The idea is not that we have life so that we can fulfill our career. Why do we have the career? So that we can serve Hashem. So if a person lives with that attitude of, I'm here to serve the Almighty, then everything that goes on around me, using that lens, using that focus of how can I utilize this to serve Hashem? And that's what we need to ask for. Hashem, you know why I want a job? Because without a job, I can't earn a living. I can't earn a livelihood. I can't support my family. I'm not going to be able to serve you. It's really important to me to serve you. So get me a job so I can have a livelihood, so that I can support my family, so that together we can all serve you. It's very difficult to serve God without that. And that's what we want to ask for. It's not because, oh, God, give me that that deal so that I can be rich and famous. No, Hashem, give me that deal so I can give charity, so I can do good things, so I can have the frame of mind that can allow me to study your Torah. Humbleness is the key to prayer. A person needs to have humility in order to talk to God. If we do not, what is prayer? Prayers, I'm, I'm realizing that I'm deficient in a specific area or every area. Hashem, I don't understand medicine, therefore you, the healer of all, please heal me. Hashem, I don't have all of the answers to my livelihood, but you do help me with my livelihood. Hashem, I'm facing a challenge. That means the minute we realize that we are deficient in, a, in an area and we pray for that, that humility is the most powerful part of prayer. Because what's the purpose of prayer? The purpose of prayer is to connect to God. And we cannot connect when we have arrogance. An arrogant person, person is a lonely person. An arrogant person is a lonely person because it's very difficult, very, very, very difficult to connect with someone who thinks that everything's about them. It's very difficult to have a meaningful relationship with someone 
who feels that it's all about me. And when a person comes to pray and they feel that it's all about me, oh, so I don't need God. It's all about me. It's not about God. I'm God. And there are people who think that, by the way. The great Hasidic master, Musar master, Rabbi Yitzchak Hutner, of blessed memory. My grandfather actually became close with Rabbi Yitzchak Hutner between writing his first book and his second book of Alishur. He writes in his introduction that there are two different books because of the impact this rabbi had on him. Two different books. But he, he would say that someone who's arrogant, he wants to kick God out and sit in God's seat. I know what's best for everyone. I am the master. I'm the be-all, know-all, feel-all. It's all about me, that even God isn't good enough for him. That's a very challenging place for a person to be in, spiritually, because such a person can't pray. Such a person can't talk to God because, guess what? What does God have to offer that I can't do myself? But if a person realizes, and sometimes Hashem crushes us till we get to that point, sometimes we're like that olive oil. You have to, in order to get that, that best quality of the olive oil, you gotta smash the olive. You gotta crush him till the good juice comes out. And then it can flow to the top. Sometimes Hashem needs to beat us over the head to say, okay, Hashem, you win. You're right. You're in charge. I'm not in charge. 